Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Tony Dudzik, Pick Guardian. Hey, everybody, it's me, Todd Amok. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody, it's me, Todd Novak. Welcome to the Guitar Knobs podcast. We are thrilled to death that you're listening to our show. Yes. We have got, uh, it's just me and Tony again. Yeah. I think it's going to be the way for a little while anyways. Uh, hey, that's know. fine. We miss Jared. We know where the talent we is. We miss Billy. But yeah, what did we do? Yeah. I don't understand. Where are you guys? Uh, I, um, I, I even put deodorant on today. Yeah, I know. I can smell it all the way from here. Mm. It's... Uh, is it where I, your wife's deodorant? Is that what? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> hey, so we have a fantastic show because we have the the, the great and honorable yes, Mister. Uh, go ahead and Legendary. identify yourself. I'm Jesse Honig from uh, Believe Audio. Yes, um, uh, maybe also known as Twenty Nine Pedals. Is that fair to say? Pedals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that was a sticky point. Being and Ninety Nine okay. Loof Balloons. Right. Yes, I do all the balloons. I do, I, <laughs> but only thirty pedals. Yes. Uh, this is his second shot at getting this right so yes. let's hope you uh because i did my research I'm doing my best i'm doing my best <laughs> his first appearance was on episode number 201, 201. from december of night of 19 of 2020 2020 has so, it really been that long it felt like just last year or something yeah, i know yeah time flies so this is going to be episode number 231 no Yes. Three. Three. Uh, sorry. 331. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the other hundred podcasts we've done. Uh, yes. So yeah, time um, just flies. Yeah. So uh, where can people. Wait, just, what, was the, what was the old episode number? Number 201. Okay. And what's this episode number? 331. Wow. So 130 episodes since then. Yes. Yes. That's crazy. It is That's crazy. That's a lot of. Who are you guys talking to? <laughs> I don't know. Todd just rambles and rambles. I just stop. Sometimes uh, it's just it's me true, and Todd. Though. It's true, though. Um, no, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the guitar world is that, like, man, I can't turn over enough rocks. Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, I found, like, four more this week that, that will be on that I'm like, whoa, what's this? Whoa, what's this? What's yeah. this? Mm -hmm. What's this? Uh, anyhow, so... Jesse, where can people go to check out the things that you make so that they can follow the bouncing ball? Oh, if you go to believableaudio.com, that is my little uh, homepage and web store. And from there, you can find links to our Instagram. Usually, I'm mostly on Instagram. Uh, and if you follow us in those two places, like at the website and Instagram, you'll get all the goodies. Right, right, right. And is it Believable Audio or 29 Pedals on the Instagram? Uh, Instagram is 29 Pedals, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so look for 29 pedals, and you'll see all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. All righty. Um, and uh, while you're browsing, you pick up one of the pedals. They're yeah. flipping amazing. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. So, uh, and that's one of the reasons that we, uh, you know, I knocked on your door, and you wouldn't let me in, which I thought was, you know, I mean, we know each other a little bit, but you could have at least, <laughs> you know, it's, it was hot outside. It's an L.A. thing. Um, so yeah. Jesse, you got something cooking and we want to talk about that today. Um, but we also want to find out just kind of generally what's going on in, you know, with, with, 20, with, you know, 29 pedals and, um, uh, should I reference it like that? I can't, I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, okay, yeah. great, great. I want to make sure I'm doing it right for you. You know, you're doing uh, everything you're, I mean, you're amazing and everything you do is wonderful. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, hey, finally. You learned. Finally. You learned from your previous <laughs> appearance. That's all I ever wanted. Well played. <laughs> yeah. All right. That'll it's get you everywhere. It's a shame this isn't on video. You can see my engraved Todd Novak uh, like I have a bust of you in my <laughs> solid gold bust yeah. of Todd. That's, that's what you hang your hat on, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, would ne- I mean, I would never cover it up with anything. <laughs> we should make those. Yes. Yes. Uh, anyways, kind of like the Batman phone. Well, you got the old 3D, Batman phone? You got the 3D with, with printer. William Shakespeare? And yes. Lift his head up? Lift the head up. Oh, man. Lift Todd's head up. Yeah. That Find bat, it empty like in, like in real life. That was genius. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So we're going to find out all about what's going on with the new stuff. But first. That he's cooking up. Yes, but first. But first. But first. We have a, an announcement or two I want to get through here. Um, okay. I want to call our attention to one of another one of our lovely messages that we get from our listeners. He says, uh, this is from Jack Yay. Yay. Uh, he says, Hi. Hi, Jack. I enjoy listening to the show, exclamation point. I hope you do another four-on-the-floor bonanza, updating the data on the four-on-the-floor choices oh, yeah. since that episode from, from February 2020. Um, I have listened to that episode a few times. Wow. I, I know it takes a lot of work to pull, off, to, to pull something like that together, though. Um, your show gets great guests. Keep oh, up nice. the great work. Thank you, Jack. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to give a little bit of context to what he's talking about. So back, um, I'm trying to remember what episode it was. Mm, well, f- that had to be in the... W- well, it was February 2020. Dude, figure it out. February 2020. Wonderhead, super brain, figure it out. Well, it had to be in the, in the, in the upper 175, uh, uh, 185, 170, something like that. Yeah, because 201 was 12 of 20. There you go. Well, let's let's just discuss what happened there. So, uh, you know, we do this four on the floor episode uh, or uh, section every time in our show. It's one of our favorites, and we know it's one of the listeners' favorites. Before that date, we had been uh, accumulating uh, basically in a blog all of the notes. So whatever anybody said about the pedal, we put out a blog that listed those four pedals. And we had at that point up to like... I think it was like 330 or 380 pedals that had been referenced. Oh, wow. It's still on the website, but it hasn't been updated since then because it was just too much work. And this is not my day job, sadly. It'd be, that'd be really fun. Um, I mean, I love what I, I do in my day job, but, you know, guitars are fun and stuff. Uh, and it just be it, it was just too much, and I said, I, I can't. I, I can't do this and do all the other stuff because the podcasts were getting longer, yada, 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 getting guests. This takes a lot of work to put together. I <laughs> Shocking because I know you're like, really, this thing? But it's true. Um, anyways, since then, we've had, I mean, it's almost double that. So we, we will have had well over a thousand pedals that we have uh, discussed oh, wow. at this point. I'm, I'm quite sure of it. Um. And it would be really cool to have all that, but uh, I, me no have the time. So mm-hmm. anyhow, um, that's why it's important to listen closely and take notes, everybody. Mm-hmm. So Jack, thank you. Unfortunately, we won't likely be doing that again, as that would take a colossal effort. However, if there's a research student from some university that wants to take that on and be on the show to share that, I throw down that challenge to ye. <laughs> 
All right. Nice. Well, yes. Ye. Ye. Every once in a while, a little old English goes a long way. Mm. Not that kind. All right. <laughs> so, uh, old English uh, 800. Uh, <laughs> onward, onward and sideways. We are going to find out what's going on in our music worlds this week with uh, the sweaty, rosy cheeked because it's so hot mm. um, uh, and confused looking Tanya Bolonsky. Hello? I don't think I'm all that sweaty. No, it's just your face. Oh, you think it's like. Uh, yeah. More greasy. Greasy. Yes. <laughs> you were just trying to be polite. I was. You? I'm glowing. Yes. Um, so anyhow, this week, um, oh, yes, this week, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, I went to go see Roger McGuinn. Ah. Oh, cool. Yeah, a little town east of here uh, has this old restored theater. And McGuinn, for those who don't know, was the uh, one of the founders uh, of the Birds, and uh, he had an outstanding so- solo career as well. He's played with the likes of Bob Dylan. He's played with the likes of Tom Petty, um, and you know, just just a, an incredibly. Uh, I, I was very impressed with his guitar skills, and for an eighty-something-year-old man. His voice was still very strong, and I, it was a great show. It was just this little, it was just him. Did you do that song? Hello, darkness, my old friend. Uh, no. Oh. But. Did you do so, All the leaves are brown. The leaves are brown. Did you no, do that one? No, that's not them. <laughs> but interesting, interesting fact, yes. because this, so this show was kind of like, uh, like a VH1 storytellers kind of thing. Sure. Oh, cool. Uh, and so he, uh, you know, he came out uh, with his, you know, Rick three seventy twelve, uh, and uh, he's playing uh, my back pages. Uh, I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah, that's a Bill, that's a Dylan song. Yes. So that was kind of the theme of the show. And so mm-hmm. he he did that. He sat down. He had like a, a, his signature Martin uh, seven string, and a Martin twelve string, and a banjo. Which I, I don't like banjos. Sorry, that's okay. Um, but um, but he you know he kind of went through his growing up in Chicago, which mm-hmm. is where he's from, and going to uh, a music school there. Uh, I guess they had kind of like a high school music school, and you know all of the the folkies and things that he got to, you know, rub shoulders with, and he just went throughout his career, and he would play songs from different things. Some of them, you know, like you know, like he played a, an old Lead Belly song that because Lead Belly was from from Chicago, mm-hmm. king of the twelve string sure. acoustic guitar. Uh, and all um, the kids know that. Well, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, uh, the interesting story. So he also did a lot of. Um, he has good nicknames anymore. What's up with that? That's a different thing. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. We you, tried to call you King of the Twelve String Guitar, but it was taken. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's funny that you would mention uh, the Sound of Silence because Roger. Uh, was also a studio musician for a period of time, as well as playing folky stuff and, and you know stuff in Greenwich Village right. when he moved to New York. And he actually did, played on the demo of Sound of Silence. No kidding. But it's not the final recorded oh, version. I, I was just kidding. I had no idea I know, about that. but see, see, uh, uh, from humor. I am smart. In humor lies the truth. Yes. 
Um, so anyhow, it was a great show. Um, he had, you know, it was a, it, I mean, it was about a two hour show. I mean, I, I, <laughs> and you know, he took a little break in the middle, but it was just so fun. And, and the stories behind a lot of the songs were really cool. Um, kind of like when we saw Brian great. Wilson. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would be kind of like yeah. Brian Wilson if, uh, Roger McGuinn was, that in was the a Beach real Boys. trip, Jesse, seeing like Brian Wilson. Yeah. Like, yeah. I saw one of the earlier. At, uh, when they first, when Brian first started touring again, we went to see him at the Man Music Center, and it was amazing. It was with the, with the Wonderments. I don't know if it's all the Wonderments still backing him up, but it was a great show. About um about six years ago, I went to see Roger McGuinn here. I don't know if they did this as a tour, but um, Marty Stewart oh. uh, did a gig in L.A. with Roger McGuinn and Chris Hillman. Uh, sweetheart, playing- that was the Sweetheart of the Rodeo tour. Yeah, and I went to see that tour at the Ace Hotel here, and it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, um, that they're was... all still so good. Chris Hillman is still so amazing. Yeah, no, and it's you know, it was, you know, the the thing that impressed me the most, and and what led me to say that his guitar skills are quite incredible. So he played Eight Miles High, famous mm-hmm. bird song, and to me the the kind of break parts were always a little bit sloppy, you know, in terms of the guitar work and stuff. And he got, you know, he said, well, you know, it's evolved over time. And so now I like to include uh, some Segovia and, and different things. And he starts playing this stuff on an acoustic guitar. Um, you know, all these little runs and things like that, that I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, huh. I can't do that. Yes, <laughs> and uh, it was it was really impressive, and you know, it. I think there's something special about seeing someone you know like that, uh, basically performing by themselves. It's fun to see them in a band situation too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I uh, actually that tour ran through Akron, uh, didn't make it. That's the only city in Ohio that it made it to the Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Um, and, I think a lot more bands should do that, honestly, especially. You know, bands that that are known and that had actual, you know, a, a good run of great records, um, ones that are that it's tougher to like maybe tour all over the place. Like, I I would love to like have Mike Ness do like a one man show. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that would mm-hmm. be fantastic. Yeah, not because I'm a crazy social distortion fiend. I, I like them, but I'm very much more intrigued by him and his musical life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so many more artists out there that, that could do that that wouldn't be detrimental to the band. If, if anything else, it would probably give the, the band a better chance to actually go out and do that. Yeah. When I was still at Largo, we would get a lot of shows like that. You know, people would just kind of do a retrospective show or something or like um, – when Crowded House was in L.A., Neil Finn would come by and play a solo show. And it was uh, it was amazing. I mean, there are small venues around the country that host stuff like that. It's a little it's a little harder to hear about. I mean, especially in the sort of like um, like Golden Voice corporate uh, venue business. It's really hard to to for those small venues to get um you know, to like reach people and to, and to tell them about these shows, but they do happen all the time. Even in the early nineties, I was working at a coffee shop venue called the point in Malvern. And we would get shows like that, you know, Mm -hmm. songwriters coming through that were part of a band, but just kind of playing some of their catalog 
um, and telling stories about it. It's just like you have to you have to look for those. You have to support your local venues, people. I think that is a very true statement. I mean, there was one of my favorite. I'll, I'll give you two more examples, and then I'm done for my music world this week. So my f- most favorite. Are we still doing that? Yes. Okay. Uh, my most favorite. Well, we got off a little bit uh, off yeah, on a tangent. Yeah, no, it's great. But, but this is what it's about. So uh, we had a bookstore here called Borders uh, for a period of time. It's yeah, gone the, now. The country had it. Well, I know the country did, but they okay. closed. Okay, the but, one that was here. You're saying the one that was okay. here in town because all the other ones closed actually too. they had two in town, <laughs> three in town. Uh, but um, Sylvain Sylvain from uh, New York Dolls fame, yeah, came through and did an acoustic show. In the coffee shop of Borders. I remember that when you when that you, yeah. you talked about that. Yeah. And it was and I brought my daughter with me, who was very young at the time, and I went up to you know say hi to Sylvain afterwards. And he says, Hey, that's really cool. You brought your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> not in yeah. a creepy way. Yeah, no, of course not. <laughs> but on the flip side of that is um I was so excited to see Bob Mould uh from Husker Oh Doom. yeah, yeah. And he was, it turns out, it was, it was like Husker Du, Sugar, Karaoke. He came out with just him yeah. playing a guitar to a backing track. Oh. And I felt I was at oh, an really? AM. I felt I was at an AM show. When uh, was that? This was, now that, this is probably 20 years at least ago. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Cause he did, he, Bob Mould came through Largo when I was working there and I was a big, I was a bigger sugar fan than I was a Husker Du fan. Yeah. Um, but he just came out and played solo. It was fantastic. You should give him another, give him I, another shot. Go see I, him again. I, yeah. I, awesome. I, I, w- I would go see him again, but I, I mean, it was just, it was just very disappointing. I, I, yeah. I expected more, but you know, nevertheless, I think we all agree that, I, you know, we're going to see X next Tuesday. Yes, we are together cool. up in, in in Cleveland. Tony and I are huge X fans, and that's cool. I mean, dude, would you? How I would shell out the dough to go see John Doe solo. Oh yeah, like storytelling thing. Oh, my oh John yeah. Doe solo. He John Doe did that. He also you guys. Well, he's got his own band and all that. I mean, he. I know he does all that that work, but I mean specifically. Uh, like talking about his books that he's done, you know, about the early X days and everything under the black Todd, you just need to move back to Los Angeles because all these people you're talking about, they play at Largo all the time. (laughs) Like that's what I used to do is, uh, I mean, I haven't worked there for like probably almost 10 years, but like all the best shows of my life I saw there, you know, and it's all that kind of stuff where it'll be like, Oh yeah, tonight John Doe is coming by and you know, Oh, that's, that would be just, all right, next, we're going to go I out mean, there I, for NAM. When we I do, will, we're going to give oh, you a Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I'll take you to all the good taco places. I have them all sussed out. Oh, have you? Yeah, oh, never mind. Pe, pe, no, Penny. What is it? Penny? Penny? Uh, crap. We went there. The one, I go to the ones that are like the stands on the side of the road. Yeah. I always tell people, like, just go until you see a line on the side of the road and go there. They're mm-hmm. the best. There's yep. this one called um, uh, Tacos El Gorion, and it's like in Pacoima outside the Target, and if it's not the best taco place I've ever been, I don't know what it is. It's I hear it's, you, man. It's no Del Taco. I hear you. <laughs> it's it's the curse wanna... of moving away from LA. Is like there's no yeah. good Mexican food east of LA. Like there just isn't. Mm. Period. Yeah, I still haven't gotten over it after from moving here. Like never having had it growing up, and then you know, like there are some good like Tex-Mex restaurants in Philly at the time, but at least in the time I was living there, there really wasn't. 
authentic Mexican food. Yeah. And like LA Mexican food is also its own thing. It is. Mm. So like you certainly couldn't get LA style Mexican food in Philly. And after moving here, I mean, it's been 15 years and I just, I'm still not over it. Like I go to every new taco place, like, like with the wonder of a child, you yeah. know, just, I'm, man, <sighs> we need to have a, a, a food vacation <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. Anyways, month long. Tony, That's Tony, my music world this week. Yeah. I did want to say as a, yeah. as a comment, Tony, if I'm allowed to comment on your music, please, week, please. You had an aside that you said you don't like the banjo. Yes. And I just want to say that I understand where you're coming from because it can be uh, abrasive. Yes. However, the single best performance I've ever heard in my entire life was one person and a banjo. Huh. And it was um, – again, when I used to work at Largo, Gillian Welch and David Rawlings used to come and do a show every month. And there were often like special guests waiting in the wings and um, – one time, Dave had to walk off stage to suss out who was going to come up next or to talk about what tune they were going to do. And he just says to Gil as he's walking off stage, he said, OK, can you cover for a minute? <laughs> so she puts down her guitar and she always had this banjo on a guitar stand behind her that at least in the times I saw him, she had never really played, but it was always there. So for the first time, I see her pick up the banjo and just solo Gil and banjo, she plays – Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. And it is, to this day, easily the best, like, single wow. instrument and voice performance I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. It was it was perfect in every way imaginable. It was, like, deeply moving, and it helped you kind of, like, understand the lyric in a sort of immediate current sense instead of hearing it like an oldies tune like you normally hear it, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was magical. And if the banjo can do that... I would encourage you to give the banjo a little more leeway. All heart. right, so it's on my list. That give. sounds like it would have been like a, a, a slow and and lonesome banjo. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, and it's like it's an interesting choice because it doesn't have a lot of sustain. And so uh, – and it's very attacky. So your time has to be really good when you play it. And her time is probably the best in the whole world. Mm. And it's like just – I can still hear it. I can still hear it in my That's head. That's cool. All right, so give Bob Mould a chance. Give the banjo a chance. It's on yeah, my yeah, list. Those, those are your two things. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Give Hot Pockets a chance again, everybody. Oh, why, why not, right? Chance. Yeah. That is hilarious. All right. I've never uh, had a Hot Pocket. Oh, well, you're – Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't bother. <laughs> you're not missing much. Yeah, unless – Unless it's really late, like I've like I've seen one. I'm <laughs> yeah. like I'm not. You know what I mean? Like I I'm not it's living not in a world where I don't know what it's it is. It's not the best. I either. just have never. I've but seen someone have one. If you're if you're like a poor student, like I was a poor art student, and a hot pocket was a it was a d deluxe delicacy. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. hot yes. pockets. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I just when I when I was like a poor artist living in Philly, I was I think I just like. I think I just lived off like Wawa soft pretzels. <laughs> yes. Wawa. And like Doritos, maybe. Yeah. My one of my good friends from back home told me they changed the recipe for the Wawa soft pretzels and they're not good anymore. Huh. And and very few things have like um felt as heartbreaking as somebody <laughs> saying that. Because I lived off of those things. No ramen noodles? No, I guess in I don't know. It's like I guess in Philly we we have like we we have specialty delicacies for uh, poor students and poor artists and stuff, because it was always like 
chicken noodle soup from Wawa or a soft pretzel from Wawa or like splurging would be like a bag of Doritos. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I should say, I should have said uh, hers potato chips because that's the Philly brand hers. potato chips. But, yes. but I, did, I did actually eat a lot of Doritos back then. I do like hers pretzels. Hers yeah. pretzels are pretty good. They're nice and salty. Yeah. Indeed. And on this week's oh boy. <laughs> food podcast. Yeah. Jesse, what is going on in your music world this week that maybe doesn't uh, completely unearth all of the awesome interviewing we're going to do? What's going on? Like, what am I listening to? Well, what, 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 what are you listening to? Where are you seeing some shows? What are you, what, what's going on outside of building pedals and stuff? Okay, a couple things. I, um, I did a... You know, I you probably remember from last time my old job was working as an audio engineer making records, and I kind of like came out of retirement to help some friends track a record on tape in a little studio that we built in their house, and it was one of the most fun experiences I've had in a long time, and it really reminded me what I loved about making records, and you know, I kind of ducked out of audio engineering slowly over time because I just couldn't handle the like the constant editing and the constant like sitting at the computer and sort of like second guessing every choice. And I began to really resent like the, how the dog kind of like presumes to allow you to reenter a moment that has passed. Mm -hmm. Whereas like in a tape studio, you kind of can't do that. You're either in the moment or the moment is gone. You can't just pull up another moment um, digitally and kind of pretend like it's the same. And over time, I really, I really didn't enjoy making records anymore. And so I stopped and this was such a fun experience. Like we got a little Fostex half inch 16 and a little console mm, and a bunch of microphones and we just made a record and it was great. And like, um, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, what else has been going on? I'm going to Las Vegas this weekend to see the B 52s. Oh, I'm very wow. excited about. Yeah. My, my partner Mariah is from Atlanta originally, and so they're very dear to her heart. And um, lately, I've been buying like reissues of records that I, um, you know, usually my record store shopping is like finding old stuff I haven't heard before. But I'm finally starting to buy some of the reissues of things that I are just records I like. And so we got a reissue of their big record, and. Uh, earlier this year. And then we heard they were doing their farewell tour and it was going to end in Athens, Georgia. And we couldn't go to the Athens one for various reasons. And we're kind of bummed out. And then we heard they were doing some dates in Las Vegas. And I've been going there a little more lately because I love bowling so much. So I go there to go play in bowling tournaments. Um, and uh, so I kind of have like, there's a coffee shop there I found that I like, and there's a little Italian American restaurant that I like. And so we're going to go there and see them. It's the first time I'm seeing like a a Vegas show. I mean, you know, granted it's like a new wave band doing their farewell tour, but it's the first time I'm going to Vegas to see like a concert. And uh, I'm excited at how it's going to be, you know. I, I always kind of like seeing people in like less elaborate venues, and I feel like these are probably the most elaborate venues you could go to. Mm. But I imagine it'll sound really good, and I do love that band a lot. I've grown – recently to be really uh fond of them just for how weird they are and the fact that you could ha be like a band that was in heavy rotation on mtv and be that weird is just great you know yeah like i think we all have the b-52s to thank for like keeping weirdness alive oh, yeah. during during like the late 80s when everything was either you know very polished pop or 
like hair metal. Those are like the only two things on MTV. If you weren't already cool enough to know things that were, weren't on MTV, they were like one of the few, you know, true weirdos that were still on MTV. And there's so much more to them than, you know, Love Shack and Rock Lobster and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, those are fun yeah. and everything. But like, if, if, if you want, like, you can really get into some deeper cuts that are really good and shows really true raw talent. Like, my, my favorite is Give Me Back My Man. Oh, yeah. That's uh-huh. When she's uh-huh. belting that out towards the end, it's like, damn, it's yeah. so good. And so you it's have really that good. kind of thing up against, like, you know, Rock Lobster. And it's, it's a little bit weird because especially growing up on the West Coast, it's like that gets thrown in our ears, you know. It was all – it was like yeah. at least twice a day on K-Rock forever. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, they um, do that's really all cool. Sixteen dances. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. I, yeah. I dig that. I'm yeah. gonna miss though. There's a show. I didn't grow up. Um, you, I mean, I think we're about the same age, so you probably had a similar experience that the three of us. Um, but like when I was growing up, there was still a lot of genre um, separation among listeners. Hmm. So like, if you liked rock and roll you weren't necessarily supposed to like heavy metal too. Mm -hmm. And I didn't grow up hanging out with the heavy metal guys. I had one friend who was into heavy metal, but most of my friends were into, you know, other kinds of like rock, either like modern alternative rock that was happening or older rock from the sixties and seventies. And so I never really listened to a lot of heavy music until like a few years ago. Um, I had an assistant, uh, at one of the brands I worked for who was very into metal. And we just started digging through every heavy band we'd both heard of trying to find stuff we both liked. And that's when I realized how much I love the first Danzig record. <laughs> and they're actually doing a tour of the first Danzig yeah, record. Yeah. Where it, and, and, but it's coming through LA when I'm out of town. Uh, so I'm, I'm bummed to miss that because I would like to see that. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that may, basically sums it up. Like I've been buying a lot of records lately um, I'm going through and buying a lot of reissue vinyl from the nineties of all these records that I grew up with that are turning 30. Mm. Um, you know, cause like my two favorite dinosaur junior records and James Addiction, 33 years and, on, on, uh, on, uh, nothing shocking was like a couple days ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I also got, um, earlier this year, I, I remembered that in the nineties, when it came out, I loved REM's Out of Time. And then because you couldn't escape it for a few years, like it was, I mean, in in, in fairness to it, it's because it was so good, but um, it, it was like everywhere. Like you couldn't mm-hmm. get away from that record for a few years. And so I just kind of stopped listening to it. I think I only ever had it on cassette and I just sort of like let it go. And I haven't listened to that record for probably 30 years and I got a copy of it on vinyl this year. And let me tell you, that record is fantastic from top oh, yeah. to bottom. Yeah. Everything about it's it is so good. One of the so greats. Great. Yeah. Um, Todd, what yes. about you? Well, I'm so glad you asked me, Tony. Um, mine's actually really short, and I want to pass this on because it was helpful to me. Um, to run our show that we do here, I use um, the internet um, application mm. uh, called Trello. Trello. And I'm sure... A lot of you are nodding oh, yeah. your heads, and some people of you are like, what's a Trello? Well, I translate, it's T-R-E-L-L-O. It's been around for years, but it's still so, so, so effective to organize things. And I was 
we were kind of struggling. We had I had a ton of riffs and stuff that I was trying to organize and we're trying to keep track of and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, why am I not using Trello for my band? Wow. And so now I've got a list of uh, new riffs, work in progress, lyrics, band, uh, parif- you know, uh, new uh, visuals and stuff that we're doing, venues that we're checking out. And I was like, I can't believe I would, how did I not think about to do this earlier? Because I've used this for years to run our podcast. So if you, a musician, are struggling to keep track of all the songs and stuff that you're trying to create and what, how to prioritize them and how to add notes and lyrics and all kinds of things, I could not uh, more heartily uh, endorse Trello to do that. Mm. That's cool. I mean, my it's friend free. Matt, my my friend Matt will be really excited to hear about that because he loves productivity tools. Oh man, and he and he makes his own records. Um, so we'll have to. I'll just tell him about that. That's a great idea. Yeah, I, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll shoot you a snapshot of of both the guitar knobs and uh, my band, the Valentinos, and you can go like, oh, you can see it, easy peasy. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I think we should figure out, you know, uh, Jesse, you make pedals, make a lot of pedals. That's and, what they tell me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if one was to pro- get one of your new pedals mm-hmm. and they tried to put it on their board, they probably need something to connect it with. Tony, do you have any recommendations? <laughs> Let me think. Let me think. Um, oh, yes. How about tour gear designed? Cables. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very very good solution. I think so. Indeed. Um, you know, these cables are very flat and most importantly, they are uh very inexpensive yes. and super, super, super durable. Yes. I have yet to have anything go I, south. I on have any not had been using them for ages. Zero failure rate for me. And the coolest thing <laughs> is if you've got if you've got a mix of pedals, you say you got like a um, uh, a side mount, and you need that to go into a top mount. They've got a cable that is an NS tr- uh, configuration yep. to help you do that. Of all kinds of sizes, everything from three inches to t- uh, twenty-four inches. Wow, incredible! Mm-hmm. Uh, you go over to tourgeardesigns.com, load up your cart. You're gonna—I I promise you—you're gonna love it. And if you enter the guitar knobs in the coupon code. You're going to save 10% on your order. And I think that's a pretty good deal. I think I might, so. I might do it right now, actually, while we're doing this podcast, because I do need to order some more. I genuinely use them here. Um, uh, I really like them, and I have to order some more. So I, uh, I might do it while we're talking. One, one, of the f- one of the foremost premier pedal builders just endorsed <laughs> the thing that we've been talking about for ages. Is this show going to get any better? Yes! It better. It's getting yes, better I hope and better. So, it might, and don't uh, forget your coupon code, Jesse. Yep, don't do that. Oh, yeah, I, what's the coupon code again? The Guitar Knobs. All one word, all lowercase. Yep. Okay. Okay. I'm entering it in right now so I don't forget. Perfect. Oh. So, anyways, thank you so much to Tour Gear for sponsoring our Four on the Floor. Let nice. me get a little bit of this. I think you've been practicing. One, two, one, two, three. Four on the Floor. All right. Jesse Hunting from 29 Pedals. Please give us your new and updated Four on the Floor. New and updated Four on the Floor. Um... 
one of them absolutely has to be the old blood noise signal blender. Um, mm. I'm such a fussy person about, um, I like, I won't let anything on my live on my board that is buffered bypass unless it lives in a true bypass loop some kind. Um, because buffered bypass is the pits and, uh, I will gladly have a lengthy discussion with it. Um, with anyone at any point. Uh, but because of that, I, I fell in love with the old blood noise signal blender because it's a handy little pedal that has two loops in it that you can blend back in, um, uh, with the dry signal. But for me, the, my favorite feature is that when you turn all three off, it goes into true bypass mode. So it knows it's just a smart little device that allows you to blend things back in. Also, a lot of times as a really fussy player, like, Digital pedals tend to have a latency that I find kind of like palpable and a uh, bummer. So some of the like modern EHX digital stuff with the synthesizer pedals they do, I think they're so cool. But playing through them, um, I I just feel like the dry signal sucks. And so I don't use them. It happens on a lot of my favorite reverb pedals too. Um, and so the Signal Blender lets you just – set all those pedals to full wet and blend in the amount of dry you like. It also lets me, um, use like my favorite vibrato pedals as chorus pedals. It's just a really handy dandy little thing. And I actually have two of them on the board right now. Um, and for 150 bucks. I mean, that's the, the amount of functionality you get out of that. That's, that's crazy pants. Yeah. And I've, I've talked to Dan about them. Dan and I are becoming pals through the gear world. And, um, and he always laughs that that's the pedal they make that I won't shut up about. You know, all the other cool stuff they make. <laughs> um, uh, then the the one I won't shut up about is the Signal Blender. Um, although I will say um, another one that I I'm oh man I like I thought about this a lot, but I'm I am always having trouble making it actually sleep four. Uh, the four I had earlier today. Let me look because I sat over there. I mean, I got to be honest, I'm still a sucker for the EAE Hypersleep. I know they're really hard to get, and so it's kind of an unfair thing to say. But it is John just John just really knocked it out of the park with that one. And if you ever have an opportunity to hear one, uh, you should. Yeah, we played they're, that actually They're amazing. It, it's so good. I mean, I have one of each version, and I can't bear to part with either of them. They're, they're both, like, unique and different and cool. Um and I just love the idea of it because I used to, I used to keep a memory man on my board just to do chorus with it because I loved the way it did chorus. So John's, you can do that, and um, uh, the Bucket Brigade chorus and the Bucket Brigade reverb are just both so fantastic. Um, I might also like to give another shout out to Old Blood with the Sunlight. Um, the Sunlight is like, it's just a, uh, it's. I forget how they describe it, but I describe it as like an infinite sustain smart reverb pedal. And there seems to be things built into its little ducking circuit where like if you don't add new notes, it will sustain your old notes forever. But as soon as you start adding new notes, there's like a priority gating kind of function or something I don't fully understand. Uh -huh. um, so that the new notes will take – 
precedence over the old notes. And so you can do that thing like where you just turn the reverb up to 100% and full uh, length, um, but you never it never gets unmusical because as you move through chords, it's kind of staying with you tonally, right. even though it's always sustaining. It's It's a really cool version like in all the other versions of infinite sustain that come around every now and then when that sound gets popular again yeah I, i'm always kind of like let down by the results and this is the first time i'm like oh like i'm in love with this pedal mm-hmm. i can't let that one go uh, uh what's that three that's three. Oh, so i, I want to know why well i'm going to give you a minute to think because i'm kicking myself because um we had the hypersleep in our hands here and um he had sent over a box and 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 I and I should have I should have acted on that because now they're eight hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, of all the things that like have become unobtainium, um, I can live without ninety nine percent of them. Yeah, um, but that's one but I that couldn't one. I couldn't live without that one. It's so good. I think the other one, and I think this one might be one that you guys actually really like. My. Um, my friend Mark over in Liverpool, who goes by Sound Lad, um, he came out with this pedal. I think it was last year that it debuted, called the Clean Machine, and it's great. And it's a pedal like as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Oh, I I wish I had made this." It's like it. It's just a really interesting way of. Um, I mean, you could call it a clean boost. You could call it an EQ. You could call it an overdrive. It's 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 kind of hard to characterize because it really depends on how you want to use it. But it's just a great sounding circuit. And every time I turn it on, I find myself like leaving it on for a while. Um, and that one definitely lives on the board full time now as well. Have you tried any of the other ones that he does? Yeah, I have his... Um, Hungry Beaver, Hungry Beaver, which yeah. I, I really, really like. I'm a f- big fan of like Big Muff style circuits. Uh-huh. And I think that is, um, you know, like when, when people do kind of one-to-one clones of things, I get, I just get a little bummed out uh, about it. And I think he's really made a nice use case for like, it's very different. I mean, like he'll tell you it's kind of based on some muff of some kind. And when you play with it, it kind of, um, it does some of those things and it has some of that stuff in it. And honestly, that's why I originally bought it. Cause I, that one I bought before he and I were friends. Um, uh, because it was just like advertised as a muff ish kind of thing. And it seemed to have some unique features and, I think it's actually not a fair way to describe it because it's a really unique pedal with a unique set of features. It is also very loud and he's uncompromising about how loud it is. And even though I find it to be too loud at times, like the, I'm, I always have mine with, with the level turned all the way down and it is still too loud. Uh, but I love when people are uncompromising about things that are important to them. And that's just, I asked him about it. I was like, how come when the fader is all the way down, it is still too loud? It's like, cause that's the way I want it. I was like, okay, well then I'm with you, you know, like, yeah. and it, it became a thing about it that uh, I found charming. And so what I do is I, I slam it into another big muff next to it and that I'm basically oh. just using as a level control. Um, so I'm letting his hit, uh, my Fran muff. And then I'm using the Fran muff as like a, um, a level control basically. Cause that one actually the, the pot goes all the way to zero. <laughs> uh i think we're gonna have to have this chap on the uh show what do you think you really should he's a he's a fun and interesting guy and he's making really cool stuff 
And I think he also just has an interesting take on the game of doing it. You know, he like doesn't have any dealers because he doesn't want to have dealers. Sure. And he makes stuff the way he wants to make it. Um, all his circuits are really cool and really fun. He's just a really great, great dude too. I went to earlier this year, I went over to the UK to visit Anderton's. Yeah. And so I, I went up to Liverpool for a few days and he was nice enough to show me all the cool old pubs and we hung out, you know, drinking pints for everywhere. He helped me brave the touristy part of Liverpool um, because I really did want to go to like, like basically if you can imagine the, the area where the cavern was, yeah. um, is like t- the Times Square of Liverpool. Sure. It's, it's touristy and it kind of sucks. Yes. And like, there's a funny thing where like the original cavern is gone, but there's one place called the cavern that is in the original location. And there's another place next door where the guy bought all the bricks from the old cavern oh, and rebuilt the cavern across the street. And so there's two horrible clubs you get to go to um, <laughs> that are just like tacky. Although the, I will say they both had local artists playing, which I thought was fantastic. And so as much as it's kind of like going to a Times Square version of it, yeah. um, it was still like supporting local artists, which I really liked. And so we we drank a lot of beers at both those places and he kind of helped me brave all that stuff um, because I couldn't not do it. But it's also like, yeah. you know, but you I feel dirty after you know. it. Yeah, because it's very like it's it's very tacky, like a few places in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot like that yeah. or it's a lot like going to Times Square or like when you have friends come to town and there's somewhere they want to go in Hollywood oh, and you're boy. like. You're like, I got to tell you, it is easily the worst part of Los Angeles. Yeah. Can we you go know? see the, can we go like to <laughs> Hollywood go to Boulevard the and see the Walk Fame? No, please, please no, please no. Yeah. Funny yeah, Liverpool I mean, story. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'd always wanted to go to Liverpool and we were in England at the time and my daughter was with us. And, and so we booked a, uh, an Airbnb at a place, apartment that was directly across from the uh the cav- the new cavern oh yeah and it was so freaking loud until five in the morning i mean it yeah. was it was just ridiculous but it was cool to, you know like you say you got to do that once yeah but yeah you know we spend a lot more time in other places in liverpool we lucked into it we found a cool hotel that was like it was still in the, that kind of part of town but it was in and a little alley in the outskirts. And so we, we had a little bit more of a quiet experience. We went to this place called the Swan. And I would like to say that the Swan did not have any t-shirts at the time, but if the Swan had t-shirts, I would have gotten one. Mark, I'd asked Mark where I should go to have a beer. Um, when we first arrived and he said, Oh, probably the Swan. It's cool. And it's around the corner. It's a heavy metal pub. Ah, and, and one of the things I, so when you're an American, right. And someone says a heavy metal bar, it conjures up certain ideas in your mind, right? Like maybe it's on the side of a road and there's uh, loud music coming out of it. And there's like Gothic decor. There's probably motorcycles outside this heavy metal bar. And, um, and when you go inside, it's probably like very sort of severe looking and, and whatever, like whatever heavy metal bar conjures in your mind. What I loved about the Swan is that it is just a regular pub with a red light bulb and the jukebox only plays heavy metal. There you go. And it's not even loud. It doesn't even play it loud. It's just that the jukebox only has heavy metal, mostly from the classic um, uh, Nawabum period of British heavy metal. Uh, but 
it's just a regular pub with a red light bulb that plays heavy metal. And it was lovely. I loved everything about it. I would go back there in a heartbeat. That's cool. See, I star. like themed cl- uh, themed places like that are great. And and not yeah. not even and even better is when it's unintentional. Yes. Well, it was it, what I loved about it is it was themed. It wasn't themed in the way an American place would be themed. Right. It was themed that way because like the that's the people just, made it like that. The, it's just the people who go there love heavy metal, and so the jukebox just plays heavy metal, and there's heavy metal guys who are the bartenders. But apart from that, it's a normal pub in every other way, and it's yeah. lovely. That's cool. Super cool. Well, I think that's a good segue into why we have you on the show, my friend. Uh, It's not just my charming anecdotes. (laughs) I love them. Are you kidding? We're going to have you back on just to talk about more geography. We've covered an awful lot today. Food, geography. Yeah. I mean, we're we're good. Um, But uh, this particular geography that we were just referencing uh, was the result, as you mentioned, of of heading out to Anderton's, which must have been pretty exciting. It was very exciting. I've I have corresponded with Pete a little bit over Instagram, and it was really wonderful to meet him in person. He's such a lovely guy, and it was um, my first time meeting like the rest of the Anderton staff and Lee and stuff like that. And it was great. It was a really fun time to go and see them. They have a wonderful shop and a wonderful staff. Um, and you know, you go there, and it it feels like kind of the guitar stores of my youth, where like it feels like everybody's there because they love what they're doing. You know, yeah. it was, it's a wonderful place. I mean, it, like I, I can't say enough about how nice they were and how cool it was to get to see the shop, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, your episode that you, uh, people can go watch on YouTube. If you get, especially if you, if you look up Anderton's, um, you'll see it pretty quick. It was uh, shot, shot about what, four months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Something uh, like that. I, I forget when it was released, but I it, released I, a format. Yeah. I was there in um, March. I think. March, yeah. Okay, so um, and the, and you you got to bring all of your pedals that we've been so lucky to have access to, um, mm-hmm. and now you and you have some some special ones there. But in particular, um, we're we want to talk about the thing that you kind of uh, semi unveiled there. Let's let's talk about. Oh that. yeah. Yeah, it was the this uh, boost pedal that's coming out. Um, the official release date is sort of mid September, so that's when you'll be able to actually get them all uh-huh. um, from your favorite retailers and from my website. Um, it's a uh, it's just oh, called you know J-Fet. what, sorry, Jesse. Oh, yeah. I, I'm so yeah. sorry. I'm going to stop myself. I'm no, I'm not going to stop myself because I didn't stop myself. What I want to say is, if if you're not familiar with Twenty Nine Pedals, could you give? Uh, <laughs> you know, we're heading up to the fifth floor, right? We're on the, we're in the parking garage right now. Mm-hmm. Give everybody just a general overview about like what is special um, in your mind about what you offer to the guitar world. Oh man, it's it's hard to say. I'm really bad at the elevator pitch because I'm just so long winded. <laughs> I think I got into doing it. Because I just wanted to um, build some things that I couldn't find out there in the world already and that were sort of like overbuilt devices that are based on my love of like um, hi-fi studio gear, very flexible kind of use cases. I, I came from, to it from like a, the angle of being an, a tech and um, an audio engineer. So like one of the reasons that Una got invented was – all the time I would be in studios and, you know, you'd get a great tone out in the live room and then with the guitar and then the guitar player wanted to track from the, uh, from the control room and, you know, running a bunch of cable through the wall, it just sounded terrible. Yeah. Um, 
So you'd get a conventional buffer, which is supposed to fix that. And oftentimes they kind of didn't. They like they don't feel great as circuits. They don't have great headroom or frequency response. Um, some of them can't drive cable as much as they might like to think they can. And so I just wanted to make something that was bulletproof and that you could just carry around with you and know that like you could hold your guitar tone on the end of a cable and plug it into anything and it wouldn't be um, like hindered in any way. Mm -hmm. I've, I've really grown in the past few years to like really embrace my love of like supporting musicians with very um, flexible tools, like simple but flexible tools. So instead of like a pedal that's got a lot of loud graphics and a really overt kind of sound, I'm trying to make things that are sort of like subtle and malleable so that you can kind of make your own sound with them and, and like allow them to become part of what you do without necessarily it feeling like, Oh, there's the meat box. It does yeah. what the meat box does. You know, it, it's, like, it's, it's maybe better described. You create, I like what you said with the tools. So I'm going to say like you create tone tools in a world of pedal effects. I guess that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I don't like to disparage what anybody else does. No, 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 I, not a disparagement. It's just different. It's just different. I, it's a different yeah, way to, I, to think about it. Yeah, because I use some of those real effecty kind of pedals myself too, yeah. and I, I find them to be really fun and useful. I like to surround them with kind of like, with like you're saying, like tools, you know, yeah. um, things that that sort of make using those things easier. I mean, I'm also one of those engineers, like, you know, people would ask me like. Oh, like what's your go-to EQ setting for a vocal? And I'm always like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like those kind of questions don't make much sense to me because I'm just a tweaker by nature, but I also am never going for anything specific. So it's like, well, you it's got knobs on it and you turn the knobs until they sound good. Mm -hmm. And and that's the best setting for that day. And there's nothing you can do that is wrong. Like the EQ police aren't going to come to your house and say you EQ'd it wrong. You know, like you may be unsatisfied with the results over time and that may teach you something about how you would like to use it in the future. But nobody could ever really say like, oh, you didn't EQ that correctly. You know, that's right. just not – that's not a real thing. And like so some of my tools are about, you know, giving you some, some choices to um, – and some support in the things you're doing. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It, it does. And, and the main reason that I want to sort of redefine that, at least for the listeners, is that if you, if you get, um, you know, like the Yuna and you, and you're flipping the switches, it's not something that when you turn on, you're like, Whoa, there's that sound that the thing does. Yeah. It's, it's like, wait a minute, my guitar sounds more guitar-y and my amp sounds more ampy kind of thing it's it's not it's not going to radically make some crazy sound and i yeah, think yeah i'm not i'm i mean i'm i'm not going for like i'm not going for radical shifts a lot of the times i mean there are some situations in which they will make a profound difference but it's it's in some ways it's like more of a difference to the player than to the listener mm -hmm. because people often describe it as like they feel like they're they feel like it sounds more like themselves or they feel like it it's um, connecting more with their fingers. Yeah. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for is to make something where when a player turns it on, they're like, wow, this feels great. This makes me want to play. Um, you know, like whether or not it has a dramatic effect in an AB 
listening test I, is like so beyond my concern. Yeah. You know, like, because if that was the goal, you would just keep making things sound more dramatic. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's necessarily really useful for a, a player. You know, a yeah. lot of times they just need supportive tools, you know, and like, um, and again, with so many other cool kind of very effecty sort of pedals out there in the world already. Sometimes just helping those pedals be a little more functional in, in, a, in a real world environment can be, um, can like make a big difference for a player. And that's, what's most important to me. Yeah, I dig it. And, and I'm, I'm assuming that is uh, part of the genesis of the name that you created this as a uh, believable audio. Oh yeah. Yeah. I called it that. It's like, um, I always feel like, like to me, I like I've always evaluated sounds in terms of their believability as like, can I imagine a person standing there playing it, even in like, um, even if it's something very weird or very outsider, you know, you could imagine a, uh, you can imagine a very weird person in a very weird place playing that sound, you know, like I remember my mentors in the studios growing up would be like, you know the the goal was to make it sound believable and that didn't necessarily mean it had to sound natural or organic or any of these other terms it just meant that when it came out of the speakers it had to connect with you as a listener yeah um and like and that meant it was believable you know like i mean i think we've all been there in situations where like you know you you're in a context and you're playing something and it just doesn't feel right and and it's like uh it it just doesn't feel like you know, like when somebody asks you to play something you don't want to play and like for whatever reason, either you're being paid to or they're your friend or whatever, you'll you'll try it. Mm-hmm. And it's like – and under your fingers, it just doesn't feel believable. And you're like, I can't go out on stage playing that. Yeah. You know, like or it like doesn't you get feel gifted like a shirt that you're like, I can't wear this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really feel like in the – you know, it's like, um, like finding ways to like stay true to your own – compass Mm -hmm. in especially as an artist you know um is really important and so like i wanted to emphasize that that that's what my tools are for you know yeah that it's like it's designed to connect you to the thing that you're trying to do it's not necessarily trying to do any of it for you yeah i feel like sometimes like you know people put neve knobs on a pedal and they'll you know paint it blue and you know they're they're trying to say this pedal will do something for you and I don't, one of the reasons I have really plain aesthetics is like, I don't want that to be the vibe. I want it to be like the vibe to be, this is a tool I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, it does things. I mean, of course they do things, but like, it's not like a, um, it's not an Instagram filter. It's right. more like an actual set of editing tools. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's fair. So um, back to uh, back to the beginning there, um, you announced something on the Andertons uh, video that you did. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the, that. That's the next pedal that's going to come out. It comes out in like mid-September. You know, basically what happens is like when you, when you start getting into manufacturing and making bigger numbers of things, you start to like see why other companies, like larger companies, have release schedules and have like cycles for products. And all of these things disinterest me. Um, however, they're often like functionally important to like having a business. And, um, I ended up with like, at this point, I'm looking at my bench right now. There is 
one, two, three, four, five. There's like six products that are basically done that I can't release yet and that are just kind of clogged up on the bench because of things like cash flow and release cycles and, you know, um, supporting the products you already released so that people, you know, grow to love them. And, and, um, and this boost actually was done like about a year ago. And at first I didn't release it because a bunch of other boosts had just come out and I kind of wanted to, you know, stay away from the competition in that way. And also some of them were from some of my friends and I didn't want to like, I just wasn't interested in directly competing with some of these other cool things that my friends had put out. Um, so I let it sit for a little while and then it set for a little while. And then I was going to Anderton's and I realized like, I haven't released anything new since the flower, which was like middle of last year, I guess, maybe even maybe 20, I forget I actually, earlier, a little bit earlier than that. Yeah. Like, and so let me tell you about your business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, please, please do. Cause I forget when it came out. I can like try to figure it out, but I don't follow any of these yeah. things. It did um, come on uh, shortly after we had you on the show, I think. Okay, the flower came out then. So, got it. So, that would be like almost three years. And I hadn't put out anything new, but I had a new product sitting there waiting. And so, I just brought it with me and, um, uh, and showed it to them. And so, it became like a soft launch because I just kind of got tired of not showing it to people. It's funny, like in the world of like, in the world of um, like marketing and commerce, you know, like, oh, I have a new thing. I have to keep it a little secret until it's time to launch so that it has a big impact. And, you know, those things, that tactic works and it moves units and it's like important and that's why everybody does it. But it's like as a person who just wants to make things and give them to the world, um, it's it's hindering. And so I'm part of the reason that this release is kind of like a soft release is that I just got tired of not talking about it because I'm like – well, Mark Johnson has one and he likes it. And, you know, Ryan from Demos in the Dark has one and he likes it. And then we kind of slow walk the launch of it. Um, and so it's taking until September to do it. But it's finally coming out and I'm very happy about it. And I'm very eager just to get to the other new things that I want to build to every, for everybody. Awesome. It's cool. Awesome. Yeah. But uh, JFET is a, it's a boost. It's like, um, I. I mean, I always build devices that are kind of hard to describe. This one, thankfully, like if no one wants to hear anything else about it, you can say it's a boost. You'll 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 evaluate it on those grounds, and you'll like it or you won't. Um, but it's it's interesting in that like um, I when I before I long before I like built pedals, I um, had a friend who. Um, had a pedal somebody was made for him just out of like Radio Shack parts and he really loved it. And he asked me to figure out what it was. And I, it kind of started me down the road of like, I was mostly working in the pro audio world at that time. And it got me down the road of like, okay, learning about guitar circuits and stuff like that. And it turned out it was um, a riff on a Tillman boost, which is a real early DIY circuit um, made by Don Tillman. And that circuit has found its way into tons of things. And uh, you'd also know it as like, that's what is in an Echoplex that everybody calls the Echoplex preamp is basically a Tillman boost. It's a single JFET circuit. And um, uh, and it JFETs have a really interesting tonal quality, I think, and they have a nice feel to them. They are functionally very similar to vacuum tubes. Um, 
but I didn't want to put out something that was basically a copy of something else that somebody had done, or I don't like to put out things that are like, oh, this is like an Echoplex. It's just not how I like to do things really. So I, I rolled the idea around in my head and I kind of like got my little blank sheet of paper out and I started sketching something that is basically um, a JFET boost, but has a lot of other things kind of hidden in there that are really cool and couldn't really be called like a copy of any of those circuits. It actually uses like a totally different biasing scheme and it uses um, two op amps on the output to drive it out to the world and to provide a little extra tone shaping. So, uh, but at its core, it's just functioning on your board like a boost. Um, like a lot of things I do, I try to bake in some really cool high tech stuff on the inside and then let it kind of function on the outside like a very simple device. So it has a knob on it that is gain. It makes about 18 dB of gain. Um, the way I, I built it, the, one of my complaints about some of the simpler ways people implement JFET boost is that you're using this clean boost and you think like, Oh, I'm, I'm using this clean boost to hit my amp really hard. Uh, but when you dig into those circuits, they're often like distorting on their own in kind of a heavy way, you'd be really surprised how you, you turn it up and it's distorting. It's not actually a clean boost. Um, and that just has to do with the architecture of the pedal. So the way I situated this is like the, the JFET stage is a fixed amount of gain that sits on the front. Um, and you can hit it hard if you want it to clip, um, more or less, uh, or you can just let it hang out where it is around like maybe one, 2%. THD. And then the, the fader is before the output stage so that the, um, the amount of like crunch you're going to get is going to remain very constant throughout the unit itself. And then if you're using that gain to hit an amp, you're still hitting your amp with clean gain, which I, I've always liked the sound of, you know, like clean gain hitting amp is, is always the most dear to my heart, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's got a couple of modes on it that I think are cool. Like it's the little three-way toggle switches. Like um, they basically deal with the low end a bit and a bit of the top end. So the normal mode in the center is kind of like, to me, how, how like, I don't know, like I refer to it as normal mode because it seems normal to me. Um, and it's like a little bit of presence boost, but not quite enough to be considered like a top boost or a treble boost kind of pedal. And then full mode brings the low end up a bit and flattens the top end out a little bit. So it makes it a little bit of a smoother kind of all around sound. And then X mode, um, it flattens the frequency response all the way down to 10 Hertz, which, um, people always tell you is unimportant. And I always love to say that, like, if you want to make things sound good, you have to focus on the things that everybody tells you aren't important. Huh, um, that's clever. And so like, one of the cool things that happens when you go down to 10 Hertz to flatten the circuit out is you bring everything up to unity that is in the range of hearing. And so you get this nice rich kind of sound without it sounding like you EQ'd it. And, um, you know, cause I like, I, oh, I like, I don't know if it's an age thing, but as I get older, I just don't like the sound of things being EQ'd. I feel like I can hear EQ and I don't like it. Mm. And if I could get the sound I wanted without an EQ, I would. And the only reason I use EQ is because I need it, not because I want it. Mm. Um, and so this mode kind of allows you to just like flatten out all that low end so that it sounds nice and rich, but it doesn't, 
it doesn't sound like you put an EQ on it. I mean, it's a really subtle effect, you know, like on, on one of my amps, I don't notice it that much. And on my other amp, I notice it a lot more. It, it depends on the guitar too. And like what you're playing, but in, in terms of like, um, especially for people who like low tune things or bass, um, it's really handy to have because like people are always trying to tell you that under a hundred Hertz doesn't matter. And it's like, it absolutely matters. You know, it also creates a pleasant shape. Like what happens when you like, people love to tell you that EQ frequency points outside the range of human hearing are ridiculous. But the reason they're not ridiculous is that if you fix the EQ points out there and use them in a really wide bandwidth, um, the shape you get is far more pleasant, uh, in the stuff you can hear. So like, you know, putting a wide boost at 27 K rather than using a shelving filter will usually sound better. Um, now like mastering engineers have known this forever and it kind of has become popular again in the studio world, maybe 10, 10 years ago or so, but something happens in the weird world of like people learning how to engineer on the internet through tips and tricks and like, um, like preferred settings and things like mm -hmm. that, that I think is always weird. And it's like, if you just listen to it, um, you'll find your own way of doing it. So like, instead of a, instead of a shelf fixed at 10 K try a really wide boost fixed at like 20. Um, and you'll see that it will start somewhere around 10 K and you get a kind of more musical shape out of it, you know, rather than just clipping the ends off. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think in general, like EQ is all about shape, you know, like there's a reason that they're often called shape controls and it's, and, it, and you can imagine that like, um, the shape of the wave you're making, you know, is a visual representation of what you're doing and they can be pleasant or unpleasant, you know, mm -hmm. like, like graphic EQs sound bad and almost no one will argue about this who really has spent a long time with them. Graphic EQs are like, um, necessary evils of certain types of audio engineering. Like you need them in a live venue to deal with feedback and nodes and stuff like that, but they don't sound good. That's why like with very few exceptions, um, there's almost no graphic EQs in recording studios. There's certainly not like a DBX 31 band EQ that people are like putting on their vocal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, like you could say that API 560 is a notable exception or some of those old Motown inductor based ones, but they're barely graphic EQs in that way. I mean, um, and even the 560 is not my favorite API EQ. Um, it's people like it on bass because it's easy to shape all the stuff that happens in a bass guitar. But you, again, you often don't find them on like vocal and it's because they tend not to sound good unless you use them really, really carefully. Um, whereas like peaking and shelving EQs tend to sound great. And a lot of it has to do just with the width of the filter. Uh -huh. You know, the, the wider you can get away with, the more musical it's going to sound. And that's why we refer to really tight QEQs as surgical. You know, it's important to remember, like, no one wants to go into surgery or very few people want to go into surgery. You know, you go into surgery because there's a result that you need. I thought you were going to say um, for the drugs. Like, that's, not, <laughs> that's not why. That's not why. No, I just mean, like, if you could get the things you wanted, like, if you could not have, like – Let's say you had some illness that needed surgery. Yeah, like if, you if Tony needed a face transplant. Yeah, like if you could if you could do it without <laughs> surgery, you'd do it, right? Because surgery is risky and it's like 
you know, not a right. great option. It's just unless never going to be it. the same, and it's not going and it's going to be too different. Yeah, I, but I, if you, I totally get. I wouldn't. It. I wouldn't mind looking at like John Travolta. I guess. But I'm just saying, if you need it, you use it. It's a thing that you need that you use when you need it. But no one goes like, you know what? I'd love to do this weekend is just like get some surgery. You know, <laughs> right? Like, and so when you refer to an EQ as a surgical EQ, what you should be reminding yourself is that it's like a last resort. You know, like yeah. something has gone terribly wrong in the way you engineered this thing, and you need a lot of EQ to fix it. And like, otherwise, you should be using the most broad filters possible mm. because that's what sounds good. You know, yeah, I get you, man. I think um, it, the EQ thing is a is certainly a strange, a strange thing to deal with because almost every single pedal has. If you've got ten pedals, there's there likely is ten EQ possibilities. Yeah, ha- all fighting with each other. Yeah, um, and and throw in a you know like a GE seven or something. Whoa, okay. Yeah, what do you I mean, actually I- sound like? And I don't tend to put a lot of direct like EQ controls on things like, you know, the unit has the little filters that are kind of gentle and the WAMP has the um, has the presence knob. But it's like I try to look at like the Al Schmidt principle of engineering where like if you need something to change its tonal character, there's so many ways to do it apart from using an EQ. And, you know, it may just have to do with like moving the way you are hitting different gain stages around or, you know, dealing with the electronics right on the guitar. Like the guitar already has an EQ on it. You know what I mean? Like with very, I don't know why we're constantly trying to add more EQs to the mix yeah. because they're, to me, they're like, they're, they're fraught with peril. I look at them and I'm just like, okay, you know, like they're good in a fight. But I also would rather not get in a fight. You know what I mean? <laughs> well put. Well put. So this new pedal, uh, you're calling it the JFET, and uh-huh. it's available in September, loosely. Yeah, yeah. You'll start seeing stuff rolling out about it, you know, in the next couple of weeks. And, and what's the best way to get word of that? Um, if you follow me on Instagram or if you um, add your name to the mailing list at the website, that's probably the best way to do it. You can also um, – just like head down to your local shop like every day and talk to them about it because um, thanks to my friends at Mass Distro, you can get us, you can get my pedals at, you know, um, shops all over the country and all over the world. And I always like to um, remind people that while I do enjoy, I do love when people buy direct from me. I do like make a little bit more when you buy direct from me, but I love to support these shops and I'm like, happy to um to do it because that's how i learned about pedals growing up yeah and that's how i learned about guitars growing up and i just love going to the guitar stores and hanging out you know from our previous um episode with you i gotta tell you that was one of the things that has that when you mentioned that that stuck with me for every episode after that and and we often encourage people to go to the go to the shops if you can't go to the shops Go directly to the builder before yeah. you go try to buy it secondhand because the builder's not going to get anything off of that. And, yep. w- 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 you know, what we want to do is support the builder so they keep making cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like to, I do like making cool stuff. So every little bit helps. Um, but I, 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 I always like to emphasize that, like, you know, in this, 
in this big box store kind of world, you know, small guitar shops, like they never made a ton of money to begin with. They were always full of people who did it because they loved it. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of big box ization of the world has made that even more challenging. And, um, and so like, if there's a shop full of people that, you know, and can, you know, get to know that you should go there and hang out with them, you know, Agreed. I mean, I, I just think so fondly about going to those places and to the extent that they still exist in LA, I go, that's where I go. You know, mm-hmm. like I go to caveman. I love caveman. Yeah. They're really nice. They're one of the only ones left. I don't, living all the way on the east side i don't get to go to true tone that much but i'll go to true tone when i'm over there you know um there you know all the little shops are great there's a some of our great like some of the most supportive dealers are like relatively small shops you know yeah um and i'm eternally grateful to all of them for their support because like I don't like to do a lot of advertising. So like you may have noticed the extent of the advertising I do is like, well, I'll go on a cool podcast and talk to cool people about whatever they want to talk about. And I'll send pedals to cool guitar players. And like, that's about all I'm willing to do. So whenever my pedals end up in a store and the people who work at that store are kind of like helping spread the word and helping support it, I'm always like really grateful to that, you know, because it's, it's just far more organic. Like, you know, there may come a day where I have to start doing targeted advertisements and you'll start seeing ads for my pedals follow you around the internet. But I just don't talk like, to us current- before you do that. Yeah, talk like to- currently <laughs> seriously. I, <laughs> currently uh, I don't do it and I'm not super interested in it, you know. Yeah. So when people do get word of this, uh what do you know where price wise where you're gonna be with this? I believe it's gonna be two sixty nine, like the others. That's that's a nice uh, keep it keep it consistent. I think that's the number. That's right? the number. That's the good number. Yeah, it's there a you good go. number. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, hey everybody, make sure you check out that uh, episode that we talked about. You'll get a little better. Uh, you know, well, not a little better. You just get a little different take on on yeah. this thing that's coming out, um, as well as a run through um, his whole line of pedals, um, which uh, really could do something to change your tone. So I I encourage you to check them out, and they're beautiful. Oh, thanks. Uh, so, That's very nice. Yeah, yeah they they are. Uh, all right, Jesse, we're going to head right into Tony. We're not going to head into Tony. Tony, <laughs> don't head into me, Tony. please. I'm an older man. Crash into you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Todd. Because this is uh, America's favorite segment of the guitar. Notes. Yes, I'm so I'm told. Yeah, well, South America anyway. <laughs> One of the Americas. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little game we like to play called uh, Would You Rather? Oh, Still need a little bit of work on that. Okay, hit it, run. I, re- I remember this now. This is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, Would You Rather may not be so terrifying, and I actually have some good news for you. Oh, do okay. tell. Because uh, Danzig is also playing in Las Vegas. What? September 22nd. Wow. Oh, nice. Wait, that's... I keep thinking it's September. I was like, that's... That's yes, not that's two no, days ago. We're still in August. I know. Whew. So, just giving you a heads up there. September 22nd. <laughs> okay. But this Would You Rather... Yes. Of course has so a... So that wasn't a Would You Rather. That no. That was just a note. It's a note, but... All right. It involves... Uh-huh. 
Danzig. Okay. And the B-52s. Ooh. And Las Vegas. All right. So let me start. Okay. So, unfortunately, they're not exactly the same day, but they're in the same month. And you're sitting there maybe uh, wondering, oh, boy, my two of my favorite bands are going to be playing in Las Vegas. But mm-hmm. lo and behold, you get a phone call. Uh-huh. And it's Glenn calling to say... It's Glenn. It's Glenn. <laughs> With two ends. Uh-huh. <laughs> two ends. <laughs> One Z. Um, and he says, look... I feel like he'd send a carrier pigeon. I don't think he uses the phone. A vulture. A carrier bat. Yes. You get a carrier bat at your door, and it says, uh, Tommy Victor, my guitar player, is missing in action. I need you to show up tonight. Uh-huh. He's got all his own gear. I mean, he's. we, we just don't know where this he is. This is for the Danzig show. This is for the Danzig show. Yeah. okay. And uh, he says, unfortunately, the only guitar available is a keytar. Uh huh. Oh my! So you have to play all of the Danzig stuff on a keytar. Not not one of the Roland one. Uh, In this scenario, guitar. do I know how to play it already? Uh, let's just say for the for the sake of of argument, yes. Like I can for the sake of argument, I can play it on guitar. But they're handing me a keytar. Yeah, yes. four okay. chords in the truth. That's yeah, all you that's need all know. you need. And okay. uh, and you got to wear black. Okay. Um, Second phone call. This is is like coincidence city. Whoa. Because you get a call from Fred Schneider, and he says, Kate Pearson is sick. Oh, no. I mean, she's sick as in, like, like she's She's ill. She's ill. Oh, she's She's ill. ill. She's not, like, sick. And he wants you to come out. And play the guitar? No. Here, you know, we've got. You know, actually cool gear. We got the the Korg synth bass, which was one of the fundamental sounds of the B-52s early uh-huh. albums. And the Farfisa. Bless you. Uh, thank you. But you have to play wearing a beehive wig. Okay. Uh-huh. And you uh-huh. have to sing all of Kate's parts. In addition uh-huh. to playing the key keyboards and the other things. So would you now, rather... In, go in ahead. In this scenario... In this scenario, can I magically sing in tune? Like I'm, yeah, let's I'm just trying say to figure the, out what the. Let's just say you'll be an octave lower than where Kate normally sings. Yeah. Okay. So it's gonna sound a little weird, and let's just say that you. But you'll be nervous, so your register will be a little I'm bit trying, higher. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out the nature of the question because I don't know how to play all these songs for either band. Right. Well, let's just say Therein that you lies did. the there, trouble. Yeah. So you gotta, gotta, you gotta fake it a little bit. And you know they'll they'll give you some they'll say uh, this one's out of A, and this okay. one's this one's out He's of D still, minor. I, I'd still be lost. But see, this seems like <laughs> this seems a little unfair because it's like okay, well, if you are if you have to sit in with Danzig, yes, and you don't know all the parts, yes. Well, at least Glenn Danzig is fronting the band, yes. But if you have to sit in with the B for twos and you got a B Kate, like she's one of the front people of the band, yes. So yeah. it's kind of like, are you asking, do you want to play? Keytar in a behind-the-scenes fashion. Yes. Or do you want to suddenly front a band you don't know how to front? And play keyboards. Oh. And play keyboards. Yes. So therein lies the conundrum. Yes. Would you rather play keytar? I I suspect that it might be a little bit of one of those things like where you go to another country and you're you're like, I can't communicate, but you end up doing just fine. That's right. Let's let's say it's like that. All's well. That's happened to me. All's well that ends well. Yeah. 
as I'm often told, as long as the band starts at the same time and yeah. ends at the same time, what happens in the middle just doesn't matter. Yeah. So, would you rather... Gonna have to shave your legs, though. Well, probably. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with right. that. I know. Hey, I mean, we're not... We're not no, we're not going there. That's whatever yes. you want to do. Go ahead. Whatever you want to do. So, <sighs> would you rather play keytar backing Glenn Danzig? Okay. In mm-hmm. Las Vegas on the 22nd at the Virgin Hotel... Or would you rather take Kate Pearson's place, play keyboards, sing songs like Kate, and wear a beehive wig hmm. at the Venetian? All right. In Las Vegas. Okay, so, uh, Jesse, we, you've, you've been, you, you need to rest your throat for just a second and think about this. Tony, go yes. ahead. Well... I I think I want to do the B-52s gig. Okay. I think it would be a, just a blast. And I, you know, I think I look, I'd look pretty good in a beehive wig. And I would shave my legs. Okay. And I can, I can sing in kind of a falsetto from time to time. Sure. So I can do that one. All right. I think I would be much better at that gig because I, I like, oh, I, you, I like the Korg synth bass. You. Pasted boom, before boom, that. Boom, 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 boom. That's me playing the Korg synth bass. Okay. All right, Jesse, you're up. That's so hard. What I'm trying to evaluate in my mind is like whose fans are going to be nicer about the fact that somebody suddenly sucks in one of their favorite bands, you know? Because these are both bands with a really like strong and strong fan base, right? Oh, yeah. Now, you know, B-52s fans are probably there to have fun in a way that, like, Danzig fans maybe aren't there to, like, they're there to have fun, but they wouldn't admit it in the same way. Yeah, they're there to um, worship. Yes, fun is a relative term. Yeah, and so Danzig's I feel like... a worship band. Yeah. I feel, kind of, kind <laughs> yeah. of, you know. I feel like um, doing the Danzig gig might be a greater physical risk. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, You know what I mean? I feel like... Glenn might get mad at me if I didn't do something right. And the fans would be like, who is that dickhead with the keytar? Yeah, you could be right? Rachmaninoff, but you're going to get rocks thrown at you. <laughs> yeah. Rocksfortodd.com. There you go. <laughs> Whereas I feel like Fred is so charming in the B-52s, he would be able to diffuse the situation in a funny way. And he'd like make everybody feel comfortable with the fact that some weirdo is just sitting in for Kate. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to say the B-52s gig but mainly because of um, personal safety. Okay, well, that's, that's fair. That's a good choice. That is probably... So uh, that answer, ladies and gentlemen, is what you, what uh, 29 pedals will do for your tone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that That's the kind of thinking that goes into... <laughs> it's, it's, it's true evaluation. Thought engineered. Yes. Um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the uh, B52s as well. Yeah, uh, nice. Because yeah, it would be it would be a hoot. It, it would be super fun. Yeah, okay. and uh, you know if it was Sam Hain, now that's a different story. Get put me on a guitar any day of the week. <laughs> Uh, no. Anyways, if I it was Sisters of Mercy, I would do it because that would, it would just be insane. Yeah, yeah. Almost any other band. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I was a little too restrictive. Yeah. Well, anyways, we got through that one. Thank yes, you so much, we Tony. Did. We need to thank a few people, and then we need to let uh, Jesse uh, go get his food. Yes, food. <laughs> food is good. Uh, that's right, Todd. At this point of the show, we like to thank a special group of people. These are our executive producers now. An executive producer makes this show possible. How do you become one? Head over to patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs and check out a couple different levels in which you can participate, become a sponsor, a patron, a hero of the podcast. Each level comes with some very nice thank you gifts, and I do mean very nice. You will be impressed. In fact, just go and look at some of the unboxings that our patrons have posted. Great stuff. They're happy. We're happy. Everybody's happy. Yes. But there's one thing more, because as an executive producer... You get to have your name read on the thing. You get your name read on the thing. Thanks, Todd. That was kind of a... That was like a hybrid hybrid. Todd Jared thing. I like that. Very nice. Yeah. You get to have your name read on the thing. Charles Nelson (laughs) Riley. There you go. Great. uh, Fred. Oh, Fred. Well, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, go ahead. Go. So special thanks to these executive producers. Moon Guitars, Vader and Pedals, John Helverson, Rick Calhoun, Trevor Gunberg, Elad Mizrahi, Mike D, Richard Kendall, Mark Garton, James White, Justin Jones, Anthony Gemalero, Bill Gola Guitars, John Esterly, Anthony Lathrop, Stefan Lamb, Michael Sanchuk, Ken Sayers, Doug Christ, Darren Gregory, Tom Brazen, Rusty Sneeden, Ralph Gottschalk, Don Kloss, Gregory Randall, Brett Hogarth, Eric Hammer, Stuart George, Michael Furman, James Bell, and James Romer, Cameron Pampas, David Tyndall, Trevor Ellenberg, and Christopher Logan. Indeed. But you know, Todd, there's another special group of people. These are a special group we call our Grand Poobas. Yes. 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 They sound nice. They're very nice people. They are. We we can't do the show without them. And they play kitars. Go. <laughs> so special special thanks to these grand poobas: Tommy Manasco, Ricardo Igreda, David Kaminga, David Brandon Wound Pickups, Hex Matos, Michio Murakishi, Bob Crouch, Jack Gadian, Sam Jet, Tyler Rines, LSJ Music Company. John, no, John Williams, and then James Pennington. Yes. Adam Johnson, Steve Keyes, Cody Foster, Science of Sound, Brian Robison, Jonathan Jerusik, Corey Nigro, uh, Corey Nigro. Jeez, why can't I say that it's today? It's because it's late. It's, it's past late. your bedtime. It's, it is past my bedtime. Michael Van Zant, Tim Nowak. Jonathan Daly, Martin Cliff, Sean S. David Poe, Billy Spitfire Unlimited, Congregation Gear Demos, Paul Von Eppinger, Scott Sullivan, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups, Matt Hart, and I'm told we have a new new Grand Pooba, Enrico Fernando. Yes. Thank you so much, Enrico, for joining the crew. Welcome to the club. Yes, yes, yes. We'll have stuff out to you soonish. 
Uh, or if you're in Liverpool, Sharpish. Um, all right. Well, this has been a delight. And Jesse, you have, you, you know what? You did even better than you did last time before. <laughs> That's always my goal to improve. I love it. Uh, yeah, for real. You're great. Um, we really enjoyed talking with you. Please remind everybody where they can go to ensure that they get this new pedal that you got coming out. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at 29 pedals, or you can go to believableaudio.com and sign up on the mailing list. Perfect. Tanya. Want just to head over to pickguardian.com, check out a couple things that I offer available for online purchases, but by and large, what I do is custom work. So shoot me an email. Let me know what you need, what you're trying to do, and I'll take very good care of you. Yeah, do that. I hear you're working on a new website. Is that true? Uh, hey everybody uh, you can shoot me an email Todd at theguitarnobs.com or DM me on Instagram I am super active there uh, you just shoot it He's, to you might you might say hyperactive hyperactive I am hyper at guitar knobs and I would love to hear what's going on just even if you just want to share you know hey I'm a listener and I like this gear that's cool we'll share that on air because that's what this is all about. Yeah, it's a community. Uh, we could use your Would You Rathers, too. Send us some of those. We've been getting great ones. And um, also, I would encourage you to uh, check out uh, on Spotify, The Villantinos. Mm -hmm. We just dropped another mm. uh, single uh, last Friday. And we got two more coming out. Can you spell that for the folks listening? The mm. Villantinos? Yes. V-I-L-L... -L Dang it, now I'm second-guessing. <laughs> V-I-L-L-A-I-N-T-I-N-O-S. I always mix the A I and know, the I know, I know. I did, too, when I was first making the logo. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, please check us out. I would love to hear what you think of it, too. And if it sucks, if you don't like it, just tell me that, too. It I don't does care. not suck. Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, anyways, we are going to say goodbye to Jesse. We bid you adieu. And uh, congratulations on your upcoming pedal release, and we Thanks can't so wait much. to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great to talk to you guys. Hit me up. Uh, hit me up whenever you want to hang out. I, I I love chatting with you. And I love the show. Perfect. I love that too. All right, everybody, have a fantastic guitar weekend. Subscribe. Oh yeah. yeah I'll have a. What do you want there, Skip? I have a soda. Do you want a watermelon <laughs> or a grape? I'll have a grape one. Like growing up in Philly, so many people moved to New York, and I just kind of thought that was a boring thing to do. Yeah, because it's right there anyway, and it's the like culture a more is more expensive. Similar. Philly, it's yes. like Philly if everyone actually hated you, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> we just where you get are you getting your information the from the internet? No, I mean yes. High rain and high temperatures usually makes for odd bedfellows. Yeah, something uh -huh, like that. Uh -huh. Dickens would say that, I suppose. Tony, uh -huh. Tony moonlights at the as a bouncer at Chippendales. So. <laughs> nice. No, I'm on stage. <laughs> oh, that's where I know him yeah. from. Yeah. Got it. Got he it. Does. I have two cats and a dog. Um, I, uh, I, they're they're dearer to me than most human beings. Hmm. Except for Tony. <laughs> Where I suspect he is there because he's a punctual young man. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Our group's called the Biggendales. Yeah. <laughs> the Biggendales. That's great. There's my bathroom. Oh, thanks. He's showing me a picture of his bathroom. That's all he's been talking about. Yeah, so it's about two and a half hours. So. He is the reigning Polska Kielbasa eating queen. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Miss Youngtown, Tanya Balonsky. Youngtown. 
because of the adjacent neighborhoods um, kind of turning the corner of gentrification. Yeah. Kensington is like the cool neighborhood now, or like at least supposedly I've, I've heard if that you're a zombie. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they call the wind Mariah. Mariah. Yeah. You know what, what musical is the most crap back then? No, next to cats. The most crap <laughs> musical is state fair. Uh, wow. I don't like State it's a Fair. terrible movie. It really. I don't know if I've ever even heard of that one. It's that, yeah. Don't well. I don't know. The pickle. The pickle judging contest is. <laughs> There's a musical with the pickle judging. Oh contest? yeah. Let me contact my Google brain. I mean, you got to paint someone's wagon. So yeah, yes. painted with blood. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> All right. Let's let's get on with this. Yeah. Tony, stop your nonsense. All right. Listen, Tony. <laughs> I didn't do anything. And away we go. Well, that's it for these knobs. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs. Visit our website at theguitarknobs.com for all of our past episodes, four on the floor blog, and other good stuff. You can connect with us on social too at our Facebook page and share your gear and stories on our Facebook group. Also, be sure to check out our Instagram at Guitar Knobs. Catch you next time.